Welcome to the talk show for talkers on irishtalkers.com. Welcome, Toastmasters, to the second segment of the talk show for talkers for this week. And we are going to introduce one of our friends. He's been on this show on many occasions, not in the flesh and blood, because we're in this particular time of COVID. Everything is being done through the different cyber platforms. The one that we're on is Zoom at the moment. And Simon Sinek is going to lend us his voice. And he is going to give us the most honest 10-minute speech that you will ever listen to. You can also catch us on YouTube. So listen to Simon Sinek. That's S-I-M-O-N-S-I-N-E-K. He's a thought leader. He's a philosopher. And he's a friend of the talk show for talkers. We are players in multiple infinite games every day of our lives. There's no such thing as being the winner in your marriage. You know, There's no such thing as winning global politics. And there's definitely no such thing as winning business. Business is an infinite game. And yet, when we listen to the language of too many leaders, they talk about being number one, being the best, and beating their competition. Based on what? There's no agreed upon objectives, there's no agreed upon timeframes. And so what ends up happening is you have people building organizations and leading with a finite mindset, playing to win, in a game where there's no such thing as winning. And when we play with a finite mindset in an infinite game, there's a few very predictable and consistent outcomes, amongst which include decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, the decline of innovation, all of which contribute to the eventual demise of the organization itself. People start business with the goal of winning or being number one, and that's a problem because that's impossible. I've never met a CEO that doesn't believe their people are important. The problem is where on the priority list. You know, been to any number of presentations where they put their priorities on the wall, you know, number one, growth, number two, shareholder value, number three, our customer, number four, our employees, there it is. See, I do care about our people. And the reality is, as social animals, we want to work for and we're willing to give our blood, sweat, and tears to leaders who understand that the balance of those two essential currencies, the balance of those two things, is will has to come before resources. Over the course of the 80s and 90s, we've seen systems produced where we're seeing the general population, the middle class, actually be less included in, in that success. And the reason I wrote The Infinite Game was because I myself got tired of being told by people in positions of authority or people of extreme wealth that I was naive, that I don't understand how business works. And for many years, I believed them. I thought, maybe I am the dumb one, right? We all kind of feel that because they have the power, they have the authority, they have the money, they know more than we do, but we still go to work and feel uncomfortable. And it turns out that that discomfort, that gut feeling there's something wrong here, turns out the majority actually knows something. And to me, this is a world is flat moment, that the people who've learned to game the system, that this discomfort that we feel, we actually are right. Like, they actually don't understand the game they're in. Business is an infinite game, and when you play with a finite mindset, lots of people suffer, including the companies that they themselves are trying to build. That's the great irony. The great irony is the way you build great companies is with an infinite mindset. The way you build great companies is by prioritizing people before profit. The way you build great companies is will before resources. Both things important, but there has to be this general leaning where we can feel when we come to work and feel 
like we're part of something bigger than ourselves, where we feel that our work and our effort is worth more than simply the money we make. You know, running a business is the same as getting healthy. It's a lifestyle. Leadership is a lifestyle. An infinite mindset is a lifestyle. So for example, you can't get healthy by going to the gym for nine hours. It doesn't work. But if you go every single day for 20 minutes, you'll absolutely get into shape, 100%. But I don't know when, and it's different times for different people. And leading is the same thing. You can absolutely have fitness goals. You can absolutely have finite goals within the infinite context of being healthy. But there's a practice that you have to do. You have to get enough sleep. You have to go to the gym. You have to eat well. You have to protect your relationships, you know, because healthy relationships really matter to our health. And you have to do all those things vigilantly. And if you miss your health goal, it's okay. You keep working at it and you know you will hit it. Business is the same. Who says that you have to meet this goal on this arbitrary date? Now, it helps to drive and it's good to have incentives and we, we're very goal-oriented species, that's fine. But if we miss the thing, it's fine. We just keep working towards it. Like, they're guidance. They're not absolutes because they're arbitrary dates and arbitrary numbers. And even if you do hit your fitness goal, you don't get to stop working out. You have to keep going for the rest of your life. Well, we're not all Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. We're not all visionaries. We don't have to have a vision, but we do have to find a vision, that we can find someone else's vision. And we are so compelled by it that we want to make it our own. Martin Luther King had a vision. He stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and told us his vision, but his vision became our vision. So I may not have come up with that vision, but I found it, and I'd like to devote time and energy to help advance it, even beyond him. We have to give our people a just cause. We have to have trusting teams. We have to create environments inside our organizations in which people feel psychologically safe, safe enough to raise their hands and say, I made a mistake or I need help. Uh, the absence of trusting teams means we have groups of people lying, hiding, and faking. And that comes from good old-fashioned leadership. Leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in our charge. And the very responsibility of a leader is not to drive performance. Leaders are not responsible for the results. Leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And the problem is, is we don't teach people how to lead. When you're very, very junior, we give people tons of training how to do their jobs. Some people get advanced degrees how to do their jobs so that they'll be good at them. And if you're really good at your job, we'll promote you. And eventually you get promoted to a position where you're now responsible for the people who do the job you used to do, and we don't teach you how to do that. So how can we expect people to be good at their jobs if we don't train them how to do it? Like, would you go see a doctor that didn't go to medical school? No. So why would we work for a leader who has no training in being a leader? That's why we get toxicity. It's not because they're bad people, it's because they don't know what they're doing. And they're making it up as they go along. And those lucky times that we get to work for a great leader, well, they were lucky that they probably had a great leader before them, or they learned it somewhere else, or maybe they had a terrible leader and they committed to do the total opposite of everything. The point is they learned it. Well, we have to teach leadership so that leaders can create environments in which all of us can work to our natural best. That produces trusting teams. What does it mean to be healthy? You're asking me the question, what does it mean to be a great parent? Like, I don't have five things to be a great parent. It's a lifestyle. And it's, it comes number one with the commitment that I am responsible for the life of another human being, the growth of another human being. The closest thing to leadership is parenting. You have to be an infinite student of parenting. You know, you want to be a parent. You ask your friends, you ask your own parents, you join groups, you read magazines, you watch talks, whatever it is, you're constantly consuming how to deal with this constantly changing challenge of being a parent. And 
it's ups and downs and successes and failures, you know? And that's what it is. Leadership is the same. Leaders, great leaders are students of leadership. No matter how achieved they may be, they're still learning. It's a lifestyle. It's the lifestyle of what I need to do to look after people, which includes things like listening, learning how to give and receive feedback, learning how to have effective confrontations, how to discipline when necessary in a way that's constructive, roam the halls, get to know people, learning what it means to ask somebody questions. How do you ask questions? You know, like some people are naturally good at being curious about other human beings and some people are uncomfortable because they're introverts or whatever, socially awkward, but we can learn. You know, how do you learn to remember people's names? Oh, I'm bad at names. No, you've just decided you're bad at names. We can learn to be good at names so that when we walk down the hall and say, hey Tom, oh my God, he remembers my name. It's a nice feeling, it's a lifestyle. There are many, many things we have to do and constantly work on to be a great leader to create that environment. So there's another guy who does what I do. He's extremely well respected. Um, he does extremely good work. I hate him. He's always been very nice to me when I've seen him professionally. It just, I have an irrational hatred of him. And, uh, Whenever his name comes up, I like, it drives me nuts. Like people bring it, like we're, we hired him. And I was like, Good. and, and, I, and because, I'm, because I, I hate him, I'm really competitive with him. And so I will go online and look at my book rankings and I'll immediately check his. <laughs> and mind you, I don't look at anybody else's, just his. And uh, if I'm ahead, I've got this like smug feeling. And if he's ahead, I get really pissed off, you know? So anyway, we had the opportunity to uh, speak at the same event. I don't mean like me in the morning, him in the afternoon, afternoon. Like we were interviewed together on the stage and the interviewer thought it would be fun if we introduced each other. And so I went first. And then I looked at him and I said, um, you make me really insecure. All of your strengths are all of my weaknesses. And uh, when your name comes up, it makes me really uncomfortable. And he looked at me and he said, funny, I feel the same about you. The reason I had such an irrational hatred of him had nothing to do with him, it had to do with me. He's my worthy rival. His strengths revealed to me my own weaknesses. And instead of confronting and taking a hard look at myself and evaluating those weaknesses and working on those weaknesses, it was much easier to take all of that negative energy and direct it towards him. In other words, to be competitive, to want to beat him. It was a very cathartic experience. We've since become very close friends, have worked together. I no longer check his book rankings. And because we share the same cause, we can actually work together. And so what I recognized was so often in business, we have these competitors, sometimes on our own teams, that we want to beat them. We've all had the experience where one of our colleagues got a promotion and we got upset, we got angry. We got angry at somebody else's success. Think about that for a second. Why couldn't we share in the joy? What is it about them that's being revealed in us? That's the problem. And so having worthy rivals instead of competitors, competitors are other players we set out to beat. But the problem with that is there's no finish line. And so if we're obsessed with beating the other company, then at some point, sure, you're ahead in whatever metric you chose until when, right? At what expense, at what cost? Uh, that's not sustainable. But rather, the other players inside our industry, outside our industry, on our own teams, we can choose our own worthy rivals. Their strengths reveal to us our weaknesses, and by having our weaknesses revealed to us, it means we have the opportunity to grow and improve. And the infinite game, at its core, is basically a game of constant improvement. And so our worthy rivals reveal to us our weaknesses and our opportunities to improve. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Ted, you chose this piece, so what uh, do you take well, out of this most? Aren't there some lovely lessons in there? I think there's some lovely lessons particularly that line where he said that his competitor, that all of his strengths were all of Simon's weaknesses. 
And how often do we see that ourselves in lots of walks of life, both in our business, in our academic, even in our leisure time? Paul, if we were having a game of golf as, as, as competitors, you know, you'd be saying, Jesus, if I could do what you could do and we could do what, if we could both do the same, what the other fellow does, we'd be great golfers. If I could put as well as you, and if you could drive it as far as I could drive it. And it, it, what Simon Sinek says here, I think, is very deep, and it takes a lot of understanding and listening, and you might have to even re-listen to it to really get the full value of the point he's making. And The Infinite Game, that's a book that you should invest in. What do you think, Paul, of what he had to say? Well, I stopped listening halfway through. The reason I stopped listening halfway through is because I thought it was so good. I was blown away by the beginning of it because I started to apply everything he was saying to Toastmasters. Yeah. And I began to apply it to clubs and the distinguished club program. Yeah. I began, first of all, when he said that, look, who says you have to achieve this goal this year at this time? You will achieve it. He was encouraging people to keep going and not to regard, for example, the achievement of, let's say, the status of distinguished and the club next door doesn't have yes. it. You're so bang on, yeah. Them. I started thinking about the value of, and he made various points about leadership mm-hmm. and how leadership is caring for the people who are... If I remember rightly, it's the people who are going to achieve the goals, let's say. Yeah. As opposed to, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, the definition of what care, leadership is. Taking care of those in our charge. And I thought, what kind of leadership is there in Toastmasters? Whatever about being in charge, area directors, taking, oh, no, club presidents, taking care of those in our charge. Yeah. They've been privileged to be given yeah. the opportunity to be called the leader. Yes. And in that sense, you know, and I thought after this, I thought, hang on, we've got a club officer training happening in a week's time. Nice out of this. And uh, I mean, two minutes of it, not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought this is all too much. There's too much goodies. In it. So sorry, Ted, that is the answer. To- no, you're bang on, Paul. I think you've got a great grasp, even, even though you might have zoned out. After half it, as you said, you're bang on. You, that's why I was making the point before you came in there that it's important that people re-listen to it and listen to it again to I, really get yes, the, I agree. I agree. the impact of what he's saying. Mara, the one thing I did think, mm. did, did it end very abruptly or something? It did a bit, but that's that's how it is. That's the recording that was made. Or was it okay? Yeah. I sort of lost track of it, and I'm going to have to listen to it again and probably two or three times to get the full import of it. I picked up one very important thing, though, what he said about targets. And this is something I've, I've held uh, very much in my mind. That is that uh, a target is not something to knock yourself for failing to achieve but a target is merely something it's a desire to get there and it's something that you can aim for and you may never actually achieve it but if you say oh well I couldn't achieve that target so I'm going to lower the bar to a target that I know I can achieve then you're not stretching yourself and you're not gaining from it yeah yeah, you're bang on too Mario grasped exactly what he was saying there too we'll ask you to come back tomorrow to listen to Paul who's going to explain exactly what the word T-L-I mean 
See you tomorrow. The Talk Show for Talkers is published every week in sections at 4pm every Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Go to our website irishtalkers.com for more information.